Section 19 of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume 2 continued. I ordered Mrs. Lamb to have an eye to my prisoners, and heartily tired as I was between dancing and travelling, I undressed and threw myself into bed. I slept till six o'clock in the evening, then rose and put myself into a habit fitter for my journey than in which I came, and which I had sent in a post-trunk before me by the messenger whom I had employed to apprise Lamb of my coming. Mrs. Gerard was not yet stirring. I called for Rachel, and asked her how she had come off with her lady upon telling her the manner of her falling into my snare. Rachel told me her lady wondered mightily at my art, and said I was the strangest gentleman that ever was born. My friend Rachel softened the expression I fancy. I am sure Mrs. Gerard did not call me a strange gentleman. She said her mistress smiled two or three times at her relation, particularly at my giving her the keys. I found upon the whole that my conduct in securing to her her money and her jewels, together with the attendance of her maid, had a good deal appeased resentment. Mrs. Gerard did not rise till near eight o'clock. I had ordered as elegant a dinner as the house could afford, and the lady, having put herself into a genteel dishabille with great alacrity, sat down to table, and did not appear to have fretted away her appetite. I would suffer no one to attend but Rachel. I told Mrs. Gerard that I purposed setting out for Dover that night, and that as it could not be supposed her maid should be able to ride so far, and that a second carriage with four horses, as less might not be able to keep pace with us, would be liable to observation, I would, if she pleased, resign my place in the chariot to Mistress Rachel, and attend her myself on horseback. She answered me coldly since she must go it was indifferent to her who was to be her companion though the motive i offered for this manner of travelling was not without its weight yet my true reason was to avoid being boxed up so long again with mrs gerard my time was not yet come for explanations and i was afraid of being on good terms with her too soon the remainder of the evening was spent by her and her maid in carefully packing up the baggage, which had been brought in a confused huddle to the inn. Mrs. Gerard had a convenient trunk bought at Rochester for the purpose, and assisted herself in laying them up safely. She equipped herself in a smart riding-dress, and at eleven o'clock, without any great reluctance, permitted me to put her and her maid into the chariot. The inn had no company in it, at least that we saw, and our host was too discreet to let any of his servants be in the way. I mounted my horse and triumphantly galloped off with my prize. We reached Dover early next morning, and immediately got on board the packet. The lady by this time appeared so perfectly serene, that I believe in my soul I should not have got rid of her if I had desired her to have gone back again. But she had assumed a new air, and affected a fine tender melancholy in her countenance. I guessed at her thoughts, and found afterwards my conjecture right. Will you believe me, Sir George, when I tell you? 
the baggage had formed serious, honourable designs upon my person. Fact, upon my word. I saw it presently, you know my knack of reading people's minds in their faces, and was not sorry for the discovery, for, though I determined not on any account to encourage such a wild expectation, yet I intended to make a discreet use of it. Besides, I knew it would afford me a handle for keeping a respectable distance. We landed next evening. She had been very sick at sea, and continued so much out of order that she was put to bed as soon as we got to the inn. She ordered her maid not to stir from her, the very thing I wished, so that I had nothing to do but to be very troublesome in my inquiries after her health, and very sorry for her indisposition. The next morning, however, set all to rights, and after congratulating her on her recovery and the revival of her beauty, I told her I meant to carry her to Boulogne, whither I had sent Pivet the night before to take lodgings for us in a private house which he knew. I found that neither Mrs. Gerard nor her maid spoke French, a circumstance I was very glad of, though the former bitterly lamented her having forgot it. She made not the least objection to the travelling from Calais to Boulogne, as she had done before. Her late indisposition gave me a pretence for insisting on Rachel's attending her in the chariot. The lodgings Pivet had taken were very handsome. Our apartments were on the same floor, separated only by a lobby. Mistress Rachel had a little bed fitted up for her, by my directions, in her lady's dressing-room. Thus far I had sailed before the wind, but now came the difficult part of my task. It was impossible for Mrs. Gerard to conceive that anything but downright love for her person could have induced me to do what I had done. I had actually ran away with her, put myself to some hazard, and what in her estimation was no small matter, some expense too. No other motive had appeared in all my conduct towards her, and though I had not absolutely made love to her, yet what other construction could my actions bear? For my words, to say the truth, were equivocal. She must necessarily have concluded that I had no other view but a piece of gallantry with her. Her designs on me were of a much more serious nature, and her vanity made her imagine that, notwithstanding my thorough knowledge of her character, her cunning, joined to my passion, might lead me into her snare. Now, I had two nice points to consider of, and two difficulties to surmount. The first was not by any part of my conduct to carry the deception so far as to give her the least room to hope I could be mad enough to marry her. This, bad as she was and extravagant as I am, I could not think of doing even to gain my favourite point. The other was to keep up such an appearance of gallantry towards her as she must naturally expect and at the same time avoid all approaches which usually forerun the catastrophe of an amour, than which nothing was more repugnant to my wishes. 
to steer between those two extremes was the difficult task particularly the latter for between ourselves i began to be much more afraid of her than she was of me i knew it would be impossible for me to keep up the farce long the sooner it was over the better and therefore i determined to enter on my part directly i had been ruminating on my project all the way as i rode when we arrived at boulogne i found myself a little out of order having caught cold and as i was really somewhat feverish a thought entered my head that this illness might aid me in my design when we came to our lodgings i made my excuses to mrs gerard for not being able to attend her i told her i found myself ill and must be obliged to go to bed she said she was very sorry and perhaps she spoke truth i left her in possession of her new apartment with her maid rachel there being strangers to the language of the country cut off all communication with the people of the house who could not speak english i introduced peevey to them whom they had never seen before for he had taken particular care to keep out of their view during the whole journey as a gentleman who was to be their interpreter and having thus settled my household i retired to my bedchamber not well nor sick enough to go to bed i threw myself however down on it and after revolving in my mind all the occurrences of the past three or four days i started up again sat down to the desk and have given you my bidolph a faithful narrative of my proceedings down to the present period of time being november the twenty fifth eight o'clock in the evening you may soon expect to have the second part of this my delectable history showing how orlando not being able to prevail with all his eloquence on the fair and beautiful as fierce and inexorable princess gerardina to put the finishing hand to his adventures and most wonderful exploits did his wrath being moved thereby like an ungentle knight bury his sword in her snow-white but savage and unrelenting breast whereat being stung with remorse he afterwards kills himself would not this be a pretty conclusion of my adventures no no sir george expect better things from thy friend i hope my knight-errantry will not end so tragically but hasten to make my peace with that gracious creature your sister yet why do i name her and myself in the same sentence she cares not for me thinks not of me or if she does it is with contempt i said this before and i must repeat it but tell her what i have done was with a view to promote her happiness oh may she be happy whatever becomes of me i know the means i have used will make her angry but try to make her forgive the means for the motive's sake tell her as much of this wild story as you think proper but do not let her see it in my wild rambling language that is only fit for your own eye your mother i know is out of all patience with me i am black enough in her opinion already this last action as far as she has yet known of it will dye me ten shades deeper 
but pray put in a word for me there too i know she will say that we are not to return evil for evil and that it is not lawful to do evil though to bring forth good but put her in mind that there are such things as pious frauds though by the by i do not take this of mine to be one of them that wicked people are to have their arts opposed by arts and that good people have not only been permitted but commanded to execute vengeance on sinners and you may hint at the children of israel's being ordered to spoil the egyptians though far be it from me to spoil mrs gerard of anything she has this however in as many wise sayings as you can collect for the purpose you may string together and be sure to tell her i have hopes of reclaiming mrs gerard from her evil courses and do not despair of prevailing on her to go into a nunnery for mrs gerard you must know was bred a roman catholic though she conformed on marrying captain gerard now put all this into decent language fit for that very good woman's ears for good i must call her notwithstanding she was inexorable to me i am fatigued with writing so long a letter i feel my disorder increase upon me i will be let blood and soon hope to give you a good account of my undertaking meanwhile if i am not quite reprobated write me a line directed under cover to monsieur leroux at the post-house boulogne farewell my dear bidolph sick or well i am ever yours o f december the second was there ever such a piece of knight-errantry what a madcap is this pray my dear are you not astonished at him i am sure i am i had not an opportunity to finish the copying of this very long letter which i began yesterday morning till very late this night my poor mother has been so restless and so much out of order these two days i desired her leave to read to her mr falkland's history for i can call it by no other name as i sat by her bedside she told me i must let her know the substance of what he said as it would fatigue her too much to attend to so long an epistle you would have smiled my cecilia at my good parents amazement when i told her mr falkland's proceedings and his reasons for them she would scarce give credit to it at first and i was obliged to repeat several circumstances to her over again and so said she this was all on your account and he had really no ill design on mrs gerard i am glad of this for miss birchall's sake and shall be impatient to tell her of it i begged of my mother to wait a while for the result of mr falkland's adventure before she mentioned anything of the matter to miss birchall we do not yet know said i how this matter may turn out mr falkland to be sure will make haste to communicate to my brother the issue of this odd affair and it will then be time enough to inform the young lady my mother unwillingly consented to postpone a discovery which she knew would be so agreeable to miss birchall i applauded her humanity but think that good and prudent as she is she is too unreserved in her confidences 
this strange business is i think at present in too critical a suspense to trust the knowledge of it to anybody if mr falkland fails in his design his avowal of it will be far from serving me sir george was with us for a few minutes to-day only to exult in mr falkland's recovered credit has he not well explained himself said he oh i knew there must have been some mystery at the bottom of that conduct which surprised us all so much there's a man for you show me another who would carry his noble disinterested love to such lengths my mother did not like that he should run on in that strain and therefore stopped him the end crowns all sir george let us see how your friend will conduct himself through this ticklish affair let him get through it how he will answered my brother a little bluntly i think sydney has obligations to him she ought never to forget december the sixteenth more intelligence my dear stranger and stranger still i am sorry i sent off my last packet as i am sure you must be impatient for the conclusion of mr falkland's adventure and then what sorry stuff has the interval been filled up with but i will now make you amends my mother is better too thank god and everything promises well sir george has had a second packet from boulogne take the continuation of mrs gerard's history as follows to george from falkland how rude is the hand of sickness my bidolf it had like to have spoiled one of the best projects that ever was undertaken and consigned to oblivion an action worthy of immortality i have been very ill since i last wrote to you the disorder which i then complained of turned out to be an ugly fever and i was for three days in extreme danger mrs gerard was during that time closely attended by pivet whose services i dispensed with on that account he told me she appeared uneasy at my situation and inquired constantly and kindly too after my health when i grew well enough to sit up i begged the favour of seeing her in my chamber she came very readily and seemed downright anxious for my recovery i told her i hoped she had been treated with proper care and respect during my illness she said mr pivet was a very obliging good-natured man and had endeavoured to make her confinement as easy to her as possible the plan she had formed of turning to the most lasting advantage the inclination she supposed i had for her inclined her to assume a very different behaviour from what was natural to her the weakness of my condition while it afforded me a pretence for a more cold and languid behaviour than i could with any colour have put on at any other time gave her an opportunity of playing off her arts and facilitated my design beyond my hopes she was seated by my bedside our first conversation consisted of nothing but complaints on my side and condolements on hers i sighed several times and she sighed in return mrs gerard said i you are afflicted but my illness has no share in your concern 
something else oppresses you you regret the being separated from mr arnold and i am always the object of your hatred neither one nor t'other answered she in a kind voice tis impossible to hate you you know it is not in nature for a woman to hate such a man as mr falkland as for mr arnold though i own my former weakness in regard to him yet i hope i have something to plead in my excuse i was married very early to an old man and had never experienced the happiness of reciprocal love he died and left me destitute mr arnold's generous though i must confess unwarrantable passion rescued me from distress i did not know he was married when i first unwarily accepted of his addresses and it was too late to retreat before i found out otherwise the universe should not have tempted me to have listened to him in the midst of the affluence i obtained from him it often grieved me to think of the injury i did his wife there is nothing mr falkland so grating to a generous mind and i think i may venture to assert that mine is one as to live in a state of dependence and at the same time owe that very dependence to a vice that you disdain i was delighted to find that she had got into this strain it was the thing i wished but durst hardly hope for without abundance of trouble on my part and a dissimulation that was irksome to me i knew she had studied this speech and got it by rote to answer her own purpose but in this as is generally the case of designing people she overshot herself and became the dupe to her own artifice i lay hold of the cue she gave oh madam you charm me go on go on now indeed you show a generous mind happy would it be for all your sex after having deviated from the paths of virtue if they could return to them with so good a grace so just a sense of their errors to you sir said she with a solemn air i am indebted for my present resolutions i hope from this time forward that my life will be irreproachable i hope so too madam i guessed she understood these words as favouring her design it was not meet to undeceive her a little mental reservation you know biddulph she went on little thinking she was forwarding my plan when she only meant to promote her own i hope mr arnold will be as sensible of his fault as i am of mine and that he will never fall into the like indiscretion again i believe there can be no true happiness but between a married pair who sincerely love each other good good thought i sure my better genius prompts the woman to speak thus ah mrs gerard how exactly do your thoughts correspond with mine how just are all your sentiments what a true relish have you for virtue yes i hope with you that mr arnold will be able to tread in your steps it is a pity he has not your noble example before him 
Mrs. Arnold is a good woman, and he might still live with her in tolerable contentment if he can get the better of his irregular passion for you. What a noble triumph of virtuous resolution would this be if you yourself were the instrument to bring this about! For Mrs. Arnold's and her brother's sake, as well as your own, I wish this were feasible. I would do anything in my power, said she, thinking she obliged me by the declaration, but I know not by what means such an event can be brought to pass. I was afraid to urge the matter further. I was within a hair's breadth of gaining my point, but did not think it prudent to press too forward. "'We'll think of it another time,' said I, and groaned heavily as if my spirits were fatigued with talking. She took the hint. "'I am afraid I have tired you. You have talked too much.' I answered her faintly. "'You are very good.' She curtsied to me and retired with a majestic step. I saw her no more that day. She had got upon stilts, and it was not yet time to take her down. Tomorrow may produce a wonder. I will wait for it. I am really weak, but begin to recover my spirits. End of section 19